Good morning. Welcome to Christ the King this morning. One of our most uh, basic impulses from the time we are born till the time we leave this world is the impulse, uh, the instinct to avoid pain. Those things that hurt us, we call them bad and we try our best to avoid them. However, as you well know, you, you cannot avoid pain, not all the time. And further, we should not avoid pain all the time. We should not avoid things that hurt. We're beginning a new series for the season of Lent. It's entitled Things That We Must Not Give Up. It's a little play on words. When I was, uh, we began Lent this past Ash Wednesday, when I was growing up, we would have a little discipline in the Glade family home and those things that we were going to give up. And I always said, I'm going to give up homework, broccoli, and chores, uh, things that I was... I just couldn't give up. And we're going to address that same subject today, or for the next couple of weeks as well. Things that you just can't give up, and the first of which is the cross. We must not give up the cross. Now, uh, you probably know this, but the cross was a simple and barbaric form of punishment. Widely used by the Romans, widely used actually against the Jewish people, uh, it was so cruel, so awful, that one of the Ro own Roman uh, officials, a, a fellow named Cicero, described it as a most cruel and frightful sentence. And I think as we go on, we're going to see that we have a tendency to obscure the cross and what it means, or to trivialize the cross and what it means for, for us, but we cannot. We cannot obscure the cross. We cannot trivialize the cross. I hope we will see that the cross is absolutely central. The cross is absolutely central to Jesus' identity. The cross is absolutely essential to the Christian faith. The cross is absolutely essential to following Christ for you and me, to what it means to be a Christian. And as painful as the cross was, as barbaric as the cross was, as uncomfortable as it may make us, we must not remove it. To do so radically changes the identity of Jesus, the nature of the Christian faith, and what it means to follow him. We must not give up the cross. We're in Mark chapter 8. It's printed in your service leaflet. Please turn there. You'll find some sermon notes in the back of your service leaflet as well. Mark is the shortest of the gospel. It's divided into 16 chapters. We're right smack dab in the middle. And actually, a good cliff note summary of Mark is really two chapters, two uh, chunks. The first chunk, from chapter 1 to 8, addresses this question of who is Jesus. And Peter's response draws this first half of the gospel to a close when Peter says in Mark chapter 8, I say you are the Christ. Chapter 8, verse 29. Christ, as you know, is not Jesus' last name. Christ is a title, meaning God's anointed one, God's savior, even God's king. So that's the first half of Mark's gospel. Who is this person? He is the Christ, God's anointed, God's king. The second half of Mark's gospel addresses the question of, okay, what will he do? And the answer to that question is picked up immediately by Jesus, by Mark, in chapter 8, verse 31. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders and the chief priests. Who is he? He is the Christ. What will he do? He will suffer and he will die. Now those things, they sound 
at least familiar to us. We're familiar with this idea that Jesus is the king and he's the king who suffers and dies for us. But just take a step back and realize how uh, opposite those two things are, a king and a cross. Those are two uh, things in the opposite direction. Kings don't suffer. At least no king that I'm aware of. Kings are welcome with a hero's welcome. They're not rejected. Kings don't suffer. Kings don't die. And so you can understand Peter's question. After correctly identifying Jesus as the Christ, as the anointed one of God, Jesus goes on to tell them about a a future that does not seem very royal at all, does it? Suffering and death and rejection. And we can empathize with Peter when he pulls Jesus aside and says, you know, I think, I think you got the wrong script. Now, I don't know about you, but I've always found Jesus' reaction to Peter to be disproportionate. I mean, here poor Peter is just trying to help trying to help Jesus avoid a little bit of pain, not doing anything, at least from my opinion, that would warrant this very harsh rebuttal, this rebuke from Jesus. Get behind me, Satan. Wow. However, that's not the first, this is not the first time that Jesus has heard this temptation that he can avoid some pain. Each of the Gospels begin with Jesus encountering the devil. That's Matthew chapter 4. Very early in the the Gospels, Jesus has a face-to-face encounter with the devil. And in each of those encounters, the devil's temptation to Jesus is to avoid some pain and suffering. Here I summarize, but Jesus' temptation is, look, Jesus, you can win the world through other means, perhaps a spectacular display of power, turn some bread, turn some rocks into a bread, or maybe you can win the world by striking a bargain with me, the devil. You don't have to go to the cross. You can avoid that pain and suffering. Remember the Bible tells you and me that Jesus suffered in every way, just like you and me. He knew that basic temptation to avoid pain. And in each time, when he is tempted directly by the devil. And here, through this satanic suggestion from Peter, Jesus turns roundly on the devil and says, Get behind me, Satan. Look at verse 31. He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer. Underline that word. Underscore it. He must do this. This is his reason for existence. He came to die. Now, we're not told why. The rest of the Bible will unfold why he went to the cross. The rest of the Bible will unfold for us that the cross is God's revelation of love for you and me. The rest of the Bible will reveal that the cross was a substitutionary death, that Jesus took my place, your place, our place on the cross. The rest of the Bible will reveal that his death was an atoning death in which he paid for our sin and paid for our debt. The rest of the Bible will reveal that Jesus' death was a victorious death and that through his death he overthrew the devil. 
overthrew the grave. But we're not told any of that here. We're not told why. We're simply told that it must be this way. The Son of Man must go to the cross. The cross was central to Jesus' identity. He was born to die. And if the cross is central to Jesus' identity, the cross must also be central to the Christian faith as well. No cross, no Christ. No cross, no Christian faith. We must insist the cross remain. Now, I believe it's easy for the cross and what the cross represents to become obscured. And it's easy for the cross to become obscured because the cross confronts our human pride. Smack dab. It confronts our human pride and tells us that a Savior died for you. And most of us just don't think of ourselves that way. We think, I'm pretty good. I'm not the worst in the world. I'm not the best in the world. I really don't think I need a savior. I could use a pick-me-up every once in a while, a little gas in the tank, a little encouragement, but a savior who dies and suffers for me, it just sounds a little bit too extreme. A contemporary theologian, Reinhold Niebuhr, probably a generation or two ago, wrote that Christianity always devolves into the following, devolves into this. We devolve into a God without judgment who brings men and women without sin into a kingdom without righteousness by a Christ without a cross. That is where Christianity just sort of drifts. And it may sound a little appealing. A God who doesn't judge, people who don't sin, a cross without a Christ. It's just not true. And it has nothing to do with authentic biblical Christianity. You know, T.S. Eliot was asked, why, was asked why he loved the church. You know what he said? He said, I love the church because it tells me the truth about myself and things that I would likely forget. And I think if we all took a moment and just pondered the horrific headlines that fill the news, or even braver still, just looked at the inner workings of our own heart and saw our smallness and our pettiness, we'd realize that this milquetoast version of Christianity simply does not tell the truth about you and about me. And that's when Christians give thanks for the season of Lent and for the cross of Christ. Because Jesus died for, you know who Jesus died for? Karl Barth said that only Christians sin. Karl Barth was another famous theologian he said, only Christians sin. What he mean, meant was that Christians, not that no one else does anything wrong, but only Christians sin. Only Christians can look at their errors, look at their faults with clear-sightedness and not blame it on their parents and not blame it on their faulty wiring and not blame it on anything other than the fact that I'm a sinner. Everyone else has to hide it. Everyone else has to explain it away. But Christians sin. 
And that's great news. You know why? Because Jesus died for sinners. And only sinners. No cross. No Christianity. So come to Jesus and come to him now. Come to him as the only way that he will receive you. Not as a misguided youth in need of a little bit of education. Not as a pretty good person who needs a little bit of gas in their tank. Come to him as a sinner in need of a savior. And you will find that he is quick to forgive, to restore, to raise you up on eagle's wings, as we say in Psalm and Isaiah. He is ready to receive sinners, but only sinners. No cross, no Christ. No cross, no Christianity. No cross, no Christians. Our third and final reflection. Calling the crowd to him, he said, If anyone would follow me, let him deny himself and pick up his cross and follow me. Jesus moves from the necessity of his cross to the necessity of our cross. While we have a temptation to obscure what the cross means, we also have a temptation to trivialize what the cross means when we deny ourselves and pick up our cross and follow him. We have a temptation, especially around the season of Lent, to think of denying ourselves and picking up our cross as, well, putting down chocolate or putting down alcohol for 40 days. Now, I just want to draw some distinction. I think those are good things to do in the season of Lent. Jack Rusenko preached an excellent sermon about fasting. You can look it up on the web. All these things that you may put down or pick up for the season of Lent, great. Do it more and more. But there's a big difference between that, which is self-control, and self-denial. I need self-control. You probably need self-control. May self-control abound, but don't mistake self-control for self-denial. Becoming a Christian, remaining a Christian, involves a change so radical that it can only be described in these very striking terms of denying yourself, picking up a cross. Someone picking up a cross is only going one place and, and following Jesus. You see, we have a tendency to trivialize what picking up our cross means. Jesus denied himself. He denied that oldest and most basic instinct to avoid pain. And he poured out his life for everybody. It was hard, but it was good. And that's what following Jesus is like. It is hard, but it is good. This past week, I became aware of a, a casual acquaintance that endured a, uh, a loss of a family member after many years of, of sickness. And probably like you, I found numerous reasons to avoid going there. Why? I don't like pain. And I thought, I don't want to intrude. And I thought, this family has probably plenty of visitors. And I thought, I don't want to, I don't really know these people. We all have any number of reasons to avoid going to the places where Jesus probably would have gone. Because we all like to avoid pain. However, it's not good. It's not good for your soul to avoid pain in all its forms. Because your soul needs exercise. It does. I walked in uh, to my, uh, on my wife doing an exercise uh, a couple of uh, years ago. She was on her elbows, 
and her toes and her body rigid. You know what she was doing? It's called a plank. I made fun of her and said, what are you doing, honey? And she said, I'm exercising. I said, that's not an exercise. And she said, you give it a try. And I said, okay, I'll give it a try. And I did. And it was awful. <laughs> I mean, I exercised muscles that I didn't even know I had. Here's the point. There are things worse than the pain of exercise. There's the pain of atrophy. I think this passage holds out the possibility that your soul, if it's not exercised, is just going to atrophy, and you'll lose it. It will become unrecognizable. Whoever seeks to save their life or save their soul, they're going to lose it. And I think there's two things that atrophy your soul. There are two things that we have in abundance, comfort and isolation. I think if we live in comfort, in isolation, your soul is just going to atrophy. Instead, your soul, your life grows in the proportion that you deny yourself and lay it down for others just as Jesus did, just as Jesus did. Where would Jesus go? Go there. What would Jesus do? Do that. What would Jesus say? Say that. If I could brag on one of our staff members, Megan Landemeyer, who just dismissed our children and does such an excellent job with our children, is also a photographer. She is friends with a family, and uh, due to her friendship with this family and due to her camera, she was invited into a very tender and very holy, very sad moment in the life of this family. I think that's what denying ourselves, picking up our cross, and following Jesus looks like. It looks like going to the places where Jesus likely would have gone and touching the hurts that Jesus likely would have touched. And she described at our staff meeting, she described this past week, going into the hospital room as one of the hardest and one of the best things that she has ever done. And I think that's what denying ourselves and picking up our cross and following Jesus should feel like. It should feel hard. One of the hardest things that we ever do, but it should feel good. One of the most best one of the most joyful things you could ever do. So take a step this week. Take a step and get involved in the hurting world around you. There is plenty of opportunity. Start small. I started with 15 seconds worth of plank. I can, I can do a minute and a half now. Take a small step to get involved in the hurting world around you. So let me summarize. The cross is central. The cross is central to Christ. It is the place he must go. It is the reason that he was born. Further, the cross is central to Christianity. The cross tells us that Jesus died for sinners and sinners only. And while that is a confrontation to our human pride, we must not obscure it. Further, the cross is central to Christians. And our life grows as we deny ourselves. We pick up our cross and follow him to the places where he would go. And while that is hard, we must not trivialize it. So obscure the cross, trivialize the cross, ignore the cross. No, we rejoice in the cross. We stand in wonder before the cross. We pick up our own cross to follow him. We must not give up the cross.